All right. Well, welcome again to Worship Online. We're so glad that you're connecting with us this morning. Before we jump into the sermon uh, series that we're kicking off today, we just want to acknowledge what's going on in our world and in our lives today. You know, it definitely is a time of uncertainty, a time maybe of fear, a time of anxiety. You know, we're hearing of cancellations of schools and businesses, and there's all sorts of things going on. And so again, our goal as we gather together as the body of Christ and as you dial in this morning is we just want to point you to the hope that we have in Jesus, to remember that what he's done for us and that he has overcome the world. You know, there's this verse from John 16, 33, that I think at the same time is one of the most troubling verses, but then it becomes one of the greatest promising verses because it's when Jesus says, In this world, you will have trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish that was way different. I wish it was like you might have trouble or maybe if you do something bad, you'll have trouble. But he just straight up says the reality of living in this broken world is we are going to have trouble or it can be translated as sorrow, that we can have struggles. But the good news is that's not all he says. There's a comma and then he says, but take heart. Take heart because I, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So we're going to face a lot of uncertainty, fears, anxieties, troubles, struggles, but let's take heart. Let's claim that promise that Jesus has already overcome the world. Now, what I want you to also remember is that we don't go to church. You know, a day like this should remind us that church isn't about a building. It's not just about a place. No, we are called to be the church. You and I together are the church. And so this is a great opportunity for us to step up and to step into our calling, to actually be the church together. I mean, this is a time when the church worldwide has an opportunity to shine. And so what I want to challenge each one of us to do is to be thinking this week, how can we go and be the church together? You know, maybe it's just checking in on your neighbors. Maybe it's making a meal for someone. Maybe it's running errands for someone who can't leave their house. Maybe it's just finding other ways to love each other. Let's step up. Let's follow Jesus forward and let's be the church during these times, all right? So again, we're so glad that you're connecting with us. I've loved seeing some of the pictures online that some of you are in your pajamas, kick back at home, maybe having some pancakes. We wish somebody would have maybe delivered some up here, but that's all right. We're just glad that you're comfortable. And today, like I said, we're kicking off this new sermon series called The Goat. And, you know, even though we had this fun video before, it is not about farm animals. We're not going through some series of all the different aspects of farming. No, it's instead, it's, it's a takeoff on an acronym that's commonly used these days. Oftentimes people debate about the GOAT, whether it's in sports, whether it's in pop culture, movies, music, or other places. And what it stands for is the greatest of all time. And people love to have that debate, you know, who's the greatest basketball player? Who's the greatest football player? What's the greatest movie of all time? And so, you know, probably the most prevalent one, the debate that comes up again and again is in the NBA. And it's the discussion of who is the GOAT? Is it Michael Jordan 
or is it LeBron? And maybe at home you're super passionate about one or the other and you're yelling at your screen and that's cool. And so I thought I'd bring up a couple more commonly debated uh, things. So as you think about the goat, are you Coke or are you Pepsi? I'm not much of a soda fan, but maybe, you know, you're super committed to one or the other. How about when it comes to rock and roll? Is it Beatles or is it the Rolling Stones? Or when it comes to movies, is it Star Wars or Star Trek? Or how about in the realm of football? Are you Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? To which I would respond, they're both incorrect. I think I would probably go Joe Montana just because I can never vote for a Patriot or a Packer, but that's just me. Who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Well, what we want to focus on today is how Jesus is the ultimate GOAT. He is the greatest of all all time. Now, a lot of people in our world, in our culture today, would acknowledge that Jesus was good. He had some good things to say. He was a wise person. But a lot of times what people think today is that he's outdated. He's kind of primitive. He's old-fashioned. We get what Dallas Willard calls chronologically arrogant. You know, we think, well, Jesus really doesn't know about life today. I mean, he never had an iPhone. He never had to fill out 50 pages of tax forms. You know, he's never logged on to Netflix before. And so what does he really know about our life today? Well, what I believe is that Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. Even though he lived 2,000 years ago, he knew what life was about better than any other person in all of history. Jesus is the source of ultimate wisdom and inspiration and motivation and knowledge and beauty and most importantly, salvation. Jesus was and is the greatest of all time. And so that's what we're going to focus on for the coming weeks leading up to Easter. We're going to talk about how Jesus was the greatest teacher, how great Jesus was the greatest friend, Jesus was the greatest example, Jesus was the greatest king, and he is the greatest savior. So today as we kick the series off, I want to talk with you about how Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. Now, teachers can have such a profound impact on our lives, can't they? You know, teachers can inspire us. They can challenge us. They even can change the course of our life sometimes. Can you think of a teacher or maybe two teachers who have had that kind of impact on your life? Maybe you look back and you say, one of those teachers who spoke into your life, who invested into you, literally changed the course of your life. You're at where you are at today because of a teacher. Well, the first teacher I think of when I think about some of the greatest teachers I had was my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Hibbard. You see, my dad was also a pastor and he took a new call to the Twin Cities. We had lived outstate for years. And so a few days before I started sixth grade, we moved to the Twin Cities and I didn't know a soul. It was my first year of middle school. And I went into day one you know, just completely nervous and worried about what this experience would be like. And so I met my teacher, Mr. Hibbard, and he was warm and he was funny and he was just an incredible, incredible teacher. 
Now, one of the things he did so well is he made every one of us, you know, all these awkward sixth graders, he made us feel included and a part of the class, a part of the team. And one of the ways he did this is he gave every single student their own nickname. Like right away, it was one of the first things we did. He went around and he gave a personalized nickname to every single person. Now, you'll never be able to guess my nickname because my nickname for Mr. Hibbard was Lego. And the explanation behind this is you might remember if you're old enough, in the late 80s, there was a big ad campaign for Legos where the kid featured in the ad was Zach the Lego Maniac. And so I then became Lego every time he talked to me. And the thing was, it built this camaraderie in our classroom and made us all feel included, even a kid who didn't know anyone. Now, another thing about Mr. Hibbard was he would challenge every one of us where we were at to be better. Now, school always came pretty easy for me. I always did pretty well, but he still found ways to challenge me to get better. And it made a huge difference in my life. Now, can you think of a teacher or two that had that kind of impact in your life? Well, Jesus did a lot of amazing things in his short three years of ministry before he went on to his death and then his resurrection. Jesus healed people. He invested into people. He built relationships. He performed miracles. He recruited disciples. He raised people from the dead and he fed thousands. He did all of that and more. But what Jesus spent a majority of his time on was teaching. You see, Jesus had crowds of people following him everywhere. Everywhere he would turn, the crowds would build and build. And Jesus would teach them. He was so engaging and he was so practical and he was so helpful that people would share that with their friends and more and more people would come hungry to hear what Jesus had to say. Now, there's a man named Luke who is the very first person to tell us about the very first time that Jesus began to teach. Now, as you might know, Luke was one of the authors of one of the four Gospels, which is the story of Jesus's ministry. But Luke never personally met Jesus. Instead, he had firsthand conversations with people who were there. Luke himself was a Greek physician who became a follower of the Apostle Paul. He was a great author. He wrote down a gospel, and then he wrote the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. Now, as Luke begins to tell us about the first time that Jesus began to teach, it's important to also note what happened right before Jesus started to teach for the first time. Because Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Satan was out to get him to try to knock him off course, but Jesus fought back with God's wisdom and God's word. And so after 40 days and 40 nights being tempted, you can imagine how exhausted and drained Jesus was. But the thing is, Jesus didn't go on vacation. He didn't book a cruise No, Luke tells us what happens next in chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, I have to stop there for a moment because that is a big statement. He was praised 
by everyone. I mean, that's an amazing achievement. I've done a fair amount of teaching in my life, and there has never been a time when I have been praised by everyone. I mean, oftentimes there's a feeling I get when I get done with a message where I was talking to Pastor Jason about this. Like, I kind of wish there was a trap door. I could just hit a button and I would be kind of whisked down under the stage and I would just pop out by my car and I could drive home. Teaching is tough. It doesn't always go well. Yet Jesus, when he taught, was praised by everyone. And it's that reaction and many others that are recorded in the Gospels that make it clear Jesus' teaching was clearly different. You know, oftentimes today, we think about teaching being mostly about sharing knowledge or facts and figures. But Jesus' teaching not only filled the mind, it filled the heart too. You see, when Jesus taught, lives were changed. He was able to connect with people, crowds of people, where they were at. And people needed and craved to hear from him. And that's why the crowds were always there. Everywhere he went, every turn he made, there was a crowd waiting. Because he spoke to their deepest needs and their deepest feelings. And people were simply drawn to him and his teaching. Now in Mark chapter 6, we again see Jesus, he's exhausted and he's drained, and he's also grieving at this point because one of his best friends, John the Baptist, had just been executed by King Herod. Jesus is running on empty. He just needs to get away to recharge, and he sometimes does that. But at this moment, see what happens. Mark says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Again, because people craved what Jesus had to share, because they couldn't wait to hear his next teaching, they were everywhere. I mean, he's out on a boat, and when he tries to come to shore, they're just waiting right there. But I love Jesus' reaction Instead of being frustrated, like not these people again, instead of being disappointed, instead of voicing any displeasure, it says he had compassion. You know what? That's God's heart for each one of us. Jesus shows us a picture of the Father's heart. When he sees us struggling, when he sees us in fear, when we're worrying, his heart towards us is a heart of compassion. And so Jesus steps out of the boat. He sees this crowd. And because of his compassion for the crowd, what does he do? He begins to teach. He knows what they need. He knows these are lost and hurting people. He says, like sheep without a shepherd. And he teaches them about life. He teaches them about relationships. He teaches them how valuable they are in the eyes of God. And he shares with them. He teaches them about God's profound and deep love for them. Now, one of the main ways that Jesus chose to teach people was through telling stories. Now, oftentimes we call these parables. And I think Jesus just knew that as human beings, we're wired up to be captivated and compelled and motivated and inspired by stories. That's why movies and television shows are so popular today. We get drawn in to stories. 
especially when they have relatable characters and relatable situations. We are people who are moved by stories, and Jesus knew this. Now, it makes me think of two of my other favorite teachers back when I was in high school. I went to Moundsview High School in the northern suburbs, and there were two teachers, Dr. Barber and Mr. Ryan, who were science teachers, chemistry and physics. And the thing is, I was never a big science fan, but I loved their classes. And part of the reason I loved their classes is because both teachers were so great at telling stories. When we would be looking at scientific theories, they would always tell the story behind it. They would tell us stories of great scientists and scholars. They would tell us stories about other scientific discoveries. But not only that, sometimes they would just tell us stories about life. And we were so compelled, we were so interested in all of these stories that that was the main motivation we had to do our work and to do it well. If we would all do well enough on our tests or if we would get all of our work done, they would block a whole hour of class where they would just tell us stories. Now think about how amazing this is for a classroom full of 17 and 18-year-olds that one of our biggest motivations was stories. Well, Jesus himself told some of the most famous and some of the most powerful stories that have ever been told. Stories like the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the lost sheep. Now, these stories are relatable. They're compelling. They have characters that we care about, that we can even see ourselves in these stories. Well, the disciples, of course, as they traveled with Jesus everywhere he went, they started to notice that he was different than others. He wasn't like an everyday rabbi that they were familiar with. They're like, why is he telling us all of these stories? And that's what they say in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. They went up to him and they said to Jesus, why do you always tell stories when you talk to people? And Jesus responded in verse 13, Because people see what I do, but they don't really see. They hear what I say, but they don't really hear. And they don't understand. You see, it's stories that enable Jesus to teach deep spiritual truths in a relatable and an understandable way. You know, Jesus was trying to model behavior, but people didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand what he was getting at. And so those stories helped draw people in. Now, the thing about Jesus' stories, his parables, is that they always had an action step. There was something that they were motivating or challenging us to do. You know, for instance, the story of the Good Samaritan still challenges us today to love our neighbor. I mean, it's a perfect story as we look at our world today. How can we be a better neighbor to those around us? Maybe you have some neighbors who are shut in during this uh, coronavirus crisis. Maybe there's some people who are afraid to go out and get food. Maybe you can love them. You can love your neighbor, as Jesus tells us to. The prodigal son story reminds us of how much God loves lost people lost people like us. But also it's a reminder, it's a challenge to not be like the older brother who has this huge problem with the father showering his love on the younger son who was lost and then is found. We need to celebrate lost people being found. The the story of the lost sheep helps us remember what's most important as the body of Christ. 
And that's helping to find people who are far from God. Well, Jesus tells another famous story at the end of the most powerful sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. If you've never read it before, it's full of teaching. All sorts of principles for living. Jesus teaches us about forgiving about the danger of anger. He talks about marriage. He even teaches us how to pray. It's where we find the Lord's Prayer. He talks about seeking God before we seek anything else in this world. But at the end of chapter 7, he sums up this entire sermon by saying this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now in Jesus's time, it was of course way harder to build on rock. I mean, think they're building in the desert and they have to dig down through all sorts of desert sand to somehow find a solid foundation. It would cost a lot of money with the tools they had. It would take forever. But Jesus is saying it's worth the investment because that foundation is so much more solid than building on sand. In fact, he goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. You see, what Jesus is saying is, if you don't apply his words, if you don't take his teachings and put them into practice, well, then we're nothing but fools. I mean, we might think that on our own, we can construct a strong, secure life. But Jesus says, really, that's just foolishness. What Jesus is saying is when it comes to his teaching, when it comes to his stories, when it comes to his words, application makes all the difference. You see, Jesus was about way more than just information. He was about transformation. And transformation really only occurs when there's change, when there's movement, when there's application. In fact, you can listen, you can hear, you can even memorize his words. But it's what you actually do that really matters. Well, there was a medical study that was done in the year 2006 that reveals just how difficult it can be for people to change their behavior, to actually apply new information that's given. Roughly 600,000 people have heart bypasses every year in America. And these people are told after their bypass surgery that they must change their lifestyle. The heart bypass is just a temporary fix. So they have to change their diet. They have to quit smoking, quit drinking. They must exercise and they have to reduce their stress. In essence, what doctors tell their patients is change or die. Apply these healthy principles to your life or things are not going to go well. Well, you think a near-death experience would forever grab the attention of these patients, right? You'd think that they would quickly change their behavior, that they would apply everything their doctor has said. You'd think the argument for change would be so profound that every patient would make the appropriate lifestyle adjustments. Sadly, though, this isn't the case. 
90% of heart patients do not change, and they fail to apply the life-giving principles they've been given. They remain the same, they live the status quo, and study after study after study indicates that two years after heart surgery, a majority of patients have not altered their behavior. And instead of making changes, instead of applying those things, essentially they choose death. Application makes all the difference. You can listen and you can hear, but it's what you do that really matters. Now, this exact same idea is emphasized by another important New Testament figure named James. And the interesting thing about James is that he was the younger brother of Jesus. Now, when I think about James, and I've said this many times, I can't help but think, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? I mean, when I think about my brother, I love him to death. He's an awesome guy. But I think I would start to think, I remember what you were like in junior high. I am not ever going to be convinced that you're the son of God. But you see, that's exactly what happened to James. At first, James doubted. He even went and tried to get Jesus to come home. He's like, you're embarrassing our family. But in the end, James, Jesus's own brother, believed that he was the son of God, that he died and rose again for our sins. I think that's one of the most profound proofs that Jesus is who he said he was. And so James was also concerned about people who hear God's word, who hear Jesus' teachings, but then fail to put them into practice. Look at James 1.22. He says, do not merely listen to God's word and so deceive yourselves. Now, don't miss this, especially those of us who consider ourselves churchy people. Because what James is really telling us is that it is possible to show up at church or to log in on your computer or phone to hear the word of God and then still be deceived. I mean, this might be happening right now. And it might even be happening to you. You know, oftentimes I think, well, you know, I set my alarm, I got out the door, or I got onto my computer, you know, I got on time, found a place to sit, I listened to what was said, I took time out of my busy schedule, and that should score me some points. And not only that, I should be able to cash these points in this week. I mean, like, God owes me something, right? If I'm going through a difficult time, like, God, don't you remember that I carved out the time to come and listen to your word? But not only that, sometimes we say, well, you know, I stayed awake for at least 75% of the sermon. I mean, I should get extra credit and more bonus points. I mean, don't I get some credit for showing up and listening? But then sometimes we even go further than that. And we say, but, you know, there was like one nugget, like one point at least that I still remember. It was, you know, one of those things that kind of made me think, hmm, that's a good point. You know, maybe I was even compelled to post it on social media or to write it down somewhere. It maybe even made me feel a little bit convicted. And so then we think, all right, I showed up, I listened, 
I had a reaction. My soul was stirred. I felt convicted. I mean, that's a great day, right? I mean, that's a church experience. That's a religious experience. I'm doing awesome. But you know what James would say? Is you're deceiving yourself. And you know what Jesus would say? He'd say, you're being foolish because you've completely missed the point. You see, James goes on in 122 to say, do what it says. The King James Version says, be doers of the word. It means God has higher expectations. God wants more from us than just showing up, hearing some words, and feeling convicted. God expects us to take what we hear and then apply it to our lives, to put it into practice. When we read or we hear Jesus' teachings, it's meant to spur us to action. Application is what makes all the difference. Now, you can probably rattle off a bunch of Jesus' teachings. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, the thing is, it's easy to quote Jesus' teachings, but how often do we actually put them into practice? The question for every one of us, church, is are we building our life on the solid foundation of Jesus' teaching? Or are we building our life on a bunch of sand? Now, some of you have been maybe following Jesus for a long time, maybe your entire life, and you're saying, piece of cake. I've got this down cold. I can point to all sorts of different ways that I have applied Jesus' teaching in my life. And that's awesome. We want you to definitely keep it up. But there's also something called selective listening. Have you ever encountered this before? Because I've been accused of selective listening multiple times throughout my life, whether it's my mom or my wife or my kids. Selective listening is basically choosing what you want to hear. Or oftentimes what it really means is you hear everything, but you only live out or put into practice the parts that you want to. Have you ever done this before? Now, I remember a conversation I had with one of my children many years ago when they were really little. And I ended up asking them, why didn't you come when I called you? And they replied, but I didn't hear you, Dad which I knew wasn't true. They heard me for sure. So I said, what do you mean you didn't hear me? And they didn't respond. So then I thought of something. I said, how many times didn't you hear me? And they replied, I don't know, three or four times? Selective listening, right? I think every one of us has done it at least once in our life. Well, I also think it's easy for us to fall into selective listening when it comes to our spiritual life. Maybe there's some teachings of Jesus that we just rather choose to ignore. Maybe there's some boundaries that he has for us that we'd rather not think about. You listen when they're proclaimed. Maybe you can even quote them, but you're not putting them into practice in your own life. You just continue on in that harmful behavior. It hurts yourself and it hurts relationships. Remember church, it's one thing to feel convicted but it's another thing to actually do something about it. Now, it might seem hard at first, right? It goes against our nature. 
but it's what leads to freedom and it leads to blessing. Take some time today to consider which of Jesus' teachings do you tend to resist or ignore or forget? Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. His words and his stories give us a picture of what real life is meant to be. So don't be foolish and just listen to him, but not make any change in your life. Make sure you put his teachings into practice. Be wise and build your life, build your family, build your legacy on the solid rock of his teaching. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence with us, for this gift of time that we have to come together as the body of Christ. Even though we're not physically together, we're together virtually in spirit. And so, God, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for your promise that where two or three are gathered, even through the internet, you're there. And so we just thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you for the gift of your word, for Jesus' teachings. God, help us to be people who put them all into practice. God, show us clearly what next steps you want us to take. God, help us to go and be the church this week. God, we live in uncertain and fearful and anxiety-filled times. God, fill us with faith. Fill us with courage. Show us how we can represent you well. How we can be the church in this world. God, help people see your everlasting love shine from each one of us. God, help us to trust you each and every day. And we pray all this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people say together, 